You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hey, welcome again today. Uh, we have a very interesting show today. Morag is uh, out doing a workshop on Future Proof and uh, I'm on a uh, uh, session here in Barbados for some local businesses and uh, we're just living the uh, technology dream here. Um, what what was so interesting and, and it fits into today's discussion, which I just love, is I don't know if any of you uh, know BlackRock, but it's a huge uh, uh, private equity investing house and they uh, probably one of the biggest in the country and but probably one of the biggest in the world, frankly. And the CEO, uh, Fink, um, just recently came out and said, I believe it was over this weekend or last weekend in the business section, that now the screen that they're looking for is not only financial viability of companies before they invest, but are they doing things that are aiding humankind, aiding the community. And I think that's such an important piece because in our book, Future Proof Workplace, we predicted this, that this is going to be the human revolution, that the technology, this fourth technological revolution or the industrial revolution, as some people call it, we call it the digital revolution, is really going to drive uh, the human revolution. And it's fascinating that one of the uh, best um, financial institutions in the world from a money perspective is looking at this issue of people and community as a clear criteria for making investment decisions. And I think you're going to see more and more of that going forward. Which leads me to uh, another issue. I'm going to be in uh, at the uh, training um, conference in Atlanta on, on February 12th. They are part of the Duke faculty. We're doing a day-long session on how learning and leadership is going to be changing uh, over the years, uh, over these next couple of years, and how we really have to adjust to the whole new framework and upskilling on an ongoing and regular basis. But the big thing I think that is really going to change everything is, you know, the last industrial revolution was the extension of man and the machine. This revolution is the integration of man and the machine. And it's going to change everything that we do, every way that we interact together. And it's going to give us great opportunities, I think, to enable us to solve problems from a collective, to innovate, to do things that are going to make lives better for people overall, not only in our own country, but around the world. And it's an interesting question because a lot of people are asking, well, all these jobs are going to go away. In my own mind, I don't think it's a bad thing for boring, low-paying, dull jobs that are often dangerous to go away. 
It is going to cause, though, the requirement that we're all going to have to learn new things on a regular basis, which can be very exciting for people that love to learn and love to be challenged. But let me lead to another topic. I was just recently, I guess, uh, back before the end of the year at a wonderful conference for the 21 jobs of the future. And the jobs were very interesting. And many of these jobs that were being predicted by Cognizant and their research, and by the way, we're going to be having the uh, author of um, uh, the book that was highlighted at this conference on in the next upcoming weeks. But the upshot of many of these jobs were people related, walker, talkers, uh, people who are going to be in healthcare, helping others. It was a, a fascinating discussion. And why I'm speaking about it is because I met this wonderful person at, the, at that conference, and his name was Gary Beach. And I loved, Gary was in the audience, and we were having this great panel discussion, which was very interesting and exciting about how careers were going to morph and what people could do as they were losing jobs to technology, et cetera. And Gary asked some what I questions, and then we got connected. He, let me tell you a little bit about Gary, and then we're going to jump into uh, what I think is going to be a fabulous conversation. But he has a career that spanned uh, three decades in information technology and media business. He uh, has held executive posts at McGraw-Hill. Um, he developed the world's first digital networking magazine, and uh, he was publisher of Network World, Computer World, CIO Magazine, and he founded CIO Magazine in India. Uh, Gary's been on All Things Considered, one of my favorite shows, and uh, Morning Edition, Squawk Box. Um, he's written a phenomenal book, which was published by uh, John Wiley, Wiley Press, uh, also our publishers, A Future Proof Workplace, a best-selling book, as ours is, um, The U.S. Technology Skill Gap. Um, and it's a really best contextual history of STEM education written. Um, that's a quote from other people who have read, read the book. So Gary is also Wall Street Journal uh, columnist and regularly on the top, topic of technology. So as you see, I've got an expert with me um, <laughs> on the radio show. So Gary, thank you so much for joining the show. Well, Linda, it's a pleasure. I, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I just – so why don't you just share a little bit? I mean, I gave you uh, uh, some background, but – why don't you tell us why did you write the book, The U.S. Technology Skill Gap, which, by the way, I think is a serious issue. Oh, it, 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 it certainly is. And I've got some data to suggest that as we go forward here. But uh, I was really pleased that you led with um, Lawrence Fink and BlackRock right. and his, his uh, focus on – on social justice um, in terms of companies that his institution is going to invest in because it ties well back to the seminal moment back in uh, it was uh, 11 years ago now in Cincinnati when I was sitting in the audience of a workforce development conference and uh, a speaker got up and she read uh, the opening paragraph from the seminal report in 1983 called A Nation at Risk mm -hmm. uh, which kind of 
you know, I won't go through what what that report uh, talked about it, but it was a call to action in terms of um, our education system here in America needs to be uh, rejiggered and revamped. Um, And then she asked who wrote it and when did they write it? So everybody kind of said it was Tom Friedman in 2005, World is Flat. Uh, And then she told the audience what it was. And I was on deadline for a column. I wrote a column about a nation at risk and asked CIOs to write me if they were interested in getting a copy of the report. If I had a good column, I got 10 responses. I got 50 on that column. Wow. And I wrote a column cobbling together comments uh, that the CIOs, those 50 had sent in, and then I got 500. Uh, So I think that that ties nicely into your intro of Lawrence uh, Fink and and BlackRock, that there's been this, um, in the tech sector with CIOs anyway, a, a awareness uh, that that um, there is a skills issue uh, that 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 that's um, uh, has to be dealt with, and it's a structural issue. It's not a cyclic one that could be just fixed with throwing money at it. Uh, this is a structural challenge, in my opinion, that's going to take a generation to fix. Yeah, and you know what I think, Gary? To uh, you know, which we talked about at the at the conference in New York City, is that. I would, what I get scared about is that we're not investing the kind of money that we need to invest in the education, the technological education of our workforce. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I think we're sort of dumbing things down. I, what's your reaction to that? Well, uh, you know, data seems to suggest that that uh, uh, you know that 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 is this happening that that. Uh, Employers will continue to uh, look to hire the perfect employee rather than create the perfect employee with apprenticeships and and other kinds of programs along those those lines. Um, but I get a sense that it, it's it's not a a uh, a priority, you know, at the moment. And I've had conversations since we met in New York about okay, fine, we've got this new tax bill that's that's. Uh, uh, made its way through, and there are some examples, you know, AT&T, Walmart, and others of, of companies that have been generously giving bonuses to to um, to workers. Uh, but will uh, companies uh, step up and and you know invest some of that money uh, in in people? Because one of my favorite sayings uh, is a paraphrase of, of of the 20th century uh, American philosopher Will Rogers who once said, uh, he said, money don't mean nothing, it's people that count. And tying back to your introduction about the digital revolution, um, I'm fond of saying uh, technology doesn't mean nothing, it's people that count. So I'm I'm, I'm somewhat sitting on the fence as to see where corporate America is going to, are they going to invest more in training development, and as you mentioned in the opening, lifelong learning. Yeah, I lost you there, Gary, but um, I, I didn't hear that last part. I'm, I'm thinking to myself that uh, you know, let's let's be let's be honest. We've had a low unemployment rate for quite a while now, certainly before 2016, and um, you know, the economy continues to improve, and um, you know, Walmart for a while has been things to continue to retain employees because they've been losing employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm not so sure while they're tying this to the tax uh, bill, uh, not so 
that the total reason is that that's the total reason. You know, it's 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 difficult to hire and recruit people um, in this market. Oh, it is, and. You know, particularly when we're, we, we've reached a point of full employment, as the economists would call it. Uh, you know, one of the things, the numbers, one of the numbers I look at every month is known as the JOLT number, job opening labor turnover. That is about 6 million. And the ambiguity of the skills and human challenge we face is that some will look at that number and say that's that's a that's a positive number for America because businesses are posting open jobs. And others will say, well, it's it's not because the employers are claiming anyway that they, they can't find workers with the skills that are needed. Uh, and on top of all that, you have uh, uh, the lowest in 40 years, which is not a good number. 37% of the workforce in America is not participating in the workforce. Uh, that's, that's, that's a sizable number. Uh, and Wait, say more about Gary, what, what are you saying there? I'm not uh, the saying more about that. Uh, the labor participation rate, Linda, is is about 63%. And broadly what that means is Americans from age 16 to 64 are considered the American workforce. And right. of the 150 million, whatever it is, of, of folks that are in that age bracket right now, 63% of them are employed, mm-hmm. uh, which the corollary means 37% aren't. Uh, now, some of them will, you know, been people who have early retired or what have you, uh, but many of them are who are just uh, have, have, have are not looking for work. And when you also put in uh, to the equation that there's about two million, I believe, uh, a group, uh, a socioeconomic group called NEETS, N-E-E-T-S, and that stands for uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Age 16 to 19, who are the NEAT stands for neither in education is the first E, employment is the second E, and T is for training. So uh, we got a, we got a big challenge, and and I hope we can talk some more about the, the whole aspect of of that wonderful conference we are in New York on on robotics. I right. Mean, let's let's go never, there. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the wild west. Yeah. Yeah. Although there was a report that came out, uh, I hope you can hear me here, Linda, that came out from uh, the Snowden folks over at Davos. I'm not feeling sorry for them, uh, <laughs> nor am I feeling sorry for you sitting on the sandy shores of Barbados. Um, uh, but but uh, what came out from Davos this week was a report that said 95 percent of the several million people who the World Economic Forum believes will have their jobs displaced by robots and artificial intelligence and smart machines in the next five years, 95% of those people will find gainful employment pause if they get the proper training and development that they need Again, as you very cogently opened the program, the importance of of lifelong learning. Uh, right. You know, you know Tom Freeman just down the road from you. When you get back, uh, he he recently said that the days when a uh, when when a worker who had a who has a college degree can believe that uh, that college degree will be relevant over a thirty year career, those days are over. 
Yeah. Oh, there's no no question about it. So I, I think I just I recently was asked to write an article uh, about, you know, how do, what are the skills that people need to learn? And, and it is that ability to learn. Yes. You know, so how do you teach people to be resilient, to learn, to, uh, you know, be able to turn around and, and have that human connection, to build relationships beyond team building, you know, to work in sort of co-creation situations? How do you teach people to do that? And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, I've laid out several ways to do that. But so from your point of view, what, how do we, uh, you know, there, how do we actually begin to get people engaged in uh, technology and, and, and closing the skill gap? And, and I have to tell you, we do, Morag and I do a survey connected with our book and, and the workshops that we do. And it's so interesting. The one area, well, there's several areas where, where most companies cite themselves as relatively weak. It's not that they are not getting uh, new technology. They are. But it's very slow to be adopted. And people are still fearful of technology. So, you know, give me, a, give okay. me some thoughts on that. Um, I'll give you one uh, from my column in the Wall Street Journal that I, I wrote on Tuesday. Uh, the editors did a really good job of it. I was dissing, so to speak, the the uh, digital transformation movement, uh, not myself per mm -hmm. se, but citing research from Dell and others that seems to suggest five years into this revolution, the fourth industrial revolution that you referenced at the opening, uh, okay. 95, 90 to 95% of, of businesses have not fully adopted you know, this transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, 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 it's a, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a work in progress, but but to your point, uh, that that uh, what what needs what I think needs to be done is is uh, it was best articulated in my mind by uh, Dr. Paul Paul Morgan, who works in the education department uh, up at Penn State and State College Pennsylvania. He did a report a year ago uh, that suggested that. The STEM pipeline, and we talk a lot about science, technology, engineering, and math. He goes, the leak in the STEM pipeline begins before kindergarten. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so one thing we got to yeah. do is we got to start earlier, uh, in, in, right. in my opinion, um, is, 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 is a big takeaway. And what I think we have to do, like other countries do, is, is uh, there's a culture of reverence and respect, you know, for education and teachers in particular. Uh, right. It's, 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 uh, you saw that question I asked, you referenced it earlier, that, that, that uh, we all know the name of the best teacher we ever had in our, our, our lives. And for me, what that means is that as millions of baby boomer teachers here in the United States and around the world, you'll retire in the next decade, you know, every country needs to have a strategy, yeah, you know, how to hire and compensate the best to teach. Right, right. We're coming up to break, so hold some of these thoughts because there's much more to talk about. It's, it's how do we change the school system? How do we get kids started earlier? But also, I want to explore why are so few companies really embracing this fourth 
uh, Industrial Revolution, as you say. So stay with us. We're going to have a fascinating conversation about diversity, what's the impact here, uh, the various generations within the workplace, and how things are changing, and what you and I, all of us, have to do about this. Stay with us. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back. We're talking to Gary Beach, who is the editor emeritus from CIO Magazine. He's a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal, technology, a long history of really understanding the impact of technology in the workplace. And we were talking about the skill gap. And Gary, you were saying that, uh, you know, you really, that the gap starts right in almost preschool. So, you know, from your, from a, you know, you've we have U.S. students in uh, global math, and tests are showing that they're regularly, and you know we're we're falling behind on our proficiency tests in these areas. We're now so so. What needs to be done from your point of view? Well, we we referenced earlier in the program, Linda, the uh, the seminal report, "A Nation at Risk." Uh, right done in 1983, uh, but what it set off in President Reagan's second administration was, um, William Bennett, I think it was the Secretary of Education, the, the, a movement to acknowledge that the U.S. had fallen behind and how we were going to improve the public education in our country was to start this this testing program, so to speak. Uh, voluntary at first, uh, President Clinton had the four pillars. Uh, 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 George W. Bush had No Child Left Behind, and as recently as you know, Every Child Succeeds Act that, that uh, President Obama uh, and his administration. So there's been this focus on, on testing. I, I think it's overly onus uh, because it... You know, it's we're, we're we're in an age where what you can do with what you know is more important than what you know. I mean, you we can we can just go on Bing or Google and find out you know anything you know that 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 um that we're 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 interested in. Uh, so it just gets back to that you mentioned the proficiency word and. One would think from fourth to eighth to twelfth grade, American kids forget the global Tims and PISA tests. Put those over here. Uh, let's just look at our own own data. Uh, what concerns me is that the percent of students who r- rate efficiency as efficient, proficient rather, in in math and science. Those are the two subjects I tend to follow in fourth grade. Uh, is lower in eighth grade and lo- and falls further still to twelfth grade. It should be the other way around. Uh, right. In 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 my in my humble opinion, 
so I think I think we we're 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 um, putting an overemphasis on on testing and and uh, it, 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 it it's there's lots of cooks in the kitchen. The American Staffing Association uh, did a recent report that kind of said that you know there's a number of groups, you know, the government, um, parents, teachers, even students uh, were all responsible for. Um, the current state of of, uh, of measurable skills, whether or not they're 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 it's predictable, is another thing. And as you referenced earlier in the program, there's a whole nother set of skills, you know, that some people pejoratively call soft skills. I don't like that term, but it's. it's uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I call them human relation skills, and they're very, Good. you know, they're very difficult in some instances to teach because if somebody does not want to be resilient, you know, they're, they're not going to be. Okay. It's that simple. If somebody doesn't want to learn, they're not going to learn. And right? you know, you're in the education field, and right. yeah, I'm, I'm a couple of months from now, I'm going out to Iowa uh, to speak to, to a group in the Department of Education is putting together you know, out there and they're looking at curriculum. Yeah. And I, my first job many years ago was in the education curriculum business and there are entrenched companies there that, you know, they don't have any incentive, you know, to, to change one, one thing that I would do to my kid with people about this in K-12, I would have a giant bond bonfire across America where I would take out every desk that is in a public school and take it out into the, into the parking lot and burn it and yeah. replace them with circular mod tables yeah. and you know, have the kids. So by the time they get you know, to Duke and what have you, you know, they're, they're, they're learning a little bit more about you know, how to communicate, how to work in cross-cultural environments, how to process massive amounts of data. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's so interesting because just in and of itself, and, and, and we had this conversation at the 21 Jobs of the Future, that <laughs> teachers and teaching needs to totally uh, change. You know, the role of the teacher is not to impart knowledge. The role of the teacher really is to facilitate and mentor learning and learning experiences. Mm-hmm. and. You know, that's, those are two entirely different things. And the, and the universities and the, well, not so much, but the, the business world, learning is out of an industrial, you know, experience. It's not out of an experience that, gets, that get, helps people learn from an emotional level. And that's really what changes people when they learn from an emotional level. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's. <laughs> You know, a lot of the the learning that businesses are doing have I think has its roots back into the late 40s and the 50s where uh, when I was now I was going to school back in the 40s I wasn't born but um, yeah, you know, the, the, the the whole thing of vocational education as as a, as a phrase I don't like that phrase either but there's a lot of things I do like and don't like but that's one I don't like um, you know, there's a perception that that and shop and things like that was the consolation prize among middle school and high school students in terms of where they were going to go in, 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 in their, in their careers. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, the teacher is a facilitator and 
you know, there was a gentleman, you probably heard of his name, Seymour Pappert. Uh, he used to be at MIT. He passed away a couple of years ago. But at an event that, that I was at uh, a number of, I think it was in the late 90s, uh, we were, Computer World was giving uh, Pappert an award. And in the audience were a thousand technology executives in black gowns and, 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 and tuxes. And so when Pappert came up on the on the podium to get his award. He asked uh, the uh, producer to raise the lights in the room. It was at the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's got these incredible, iconic columns. So they raised the lights, and he looked out into the audience. I'll never forget what he said. He said, raise your hands, any of you who promote by age at your company. <laughs> oh, wow. Not one hand went up. And then he admonished them and said, why then are we doing that in public education in our country? That that, uh, this event was always in the middle of June. He's going, next week, millions of kids across the country in third grade are going to stand up, walk out the door, and they'll be in fourth grade when they come back in in August or September. But uh, teachers, the whole concept of the flipped classroom, I kind of like that one. Uh, But just gets back to the whole aspect of, 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 of hiring, um, you know, the best to teach. Uh, so you, you had mentioned before the break about why, why not embracing digital? Yeah. Right. Right. And you know, we, we don't pay teachers enough. I mean, if you, you talk about what you value and and did in public and free education. I think it was one of the things that helped us be as successful as we were, but we're not valuing it anymore in the, in the, at the same level. I mean, and you talked about this, you know, teaching careers are not uh, well-paid careers as a general rule. And you go into some of our schools and teachers are buying things out of their own pockets and, or they, they don't have the technology that they need to really integrate technology into the classrooms. You know, uh, what, what's your thoughts relative to that? Well, uh, I'll, I'll default to my favorite consulting firm, uh, the folks at McKinsey. Right. Uh, they, they do lots of great work. And they went in, you referenced earlier, Tim's and PISA, uh, right. those global assessment tests. And they were curious as to why over the last 20 years, you know, a handful of countries uh, tend to perform better uh, than others. And what they came back with was of the top performing countries, each of them had a national education strategy that was predicated on hiring teachers that were only that only graduated in the top 20% of the cohort of their high school class. So if you weren't 35% in, in, in your high school class and you wanted to teach in South Korea, you know, they, they would, uh, they would say, you know, let's say it was me, Gary, sorry, uh, you, you do not qualify to be a, a, a teacher. Now, mm-hmm. I'm the first to say that quantitative, cognitive, you know, IQ stuff does not equate with, with being great teachers. But to the point right. that you just raised, we ha- I mean, it, it, they say it's, it's not polite to walk in the shadow of a teacher in South Korea. We need to raise up the profession of teaching. I agree. It is the future of our country, and we need to compensate these young men and women a lot more than than uh, than they are. 
I, you know, Gary, I totally, I totally agree. And it leads me to another question to, to sort of, and, and, and you, you speak to this a lot and, and I, I love your point of view. Um, I'm going to get to this right after we're going to take a quick break, but I want to talk to you about, you know, and, uh, technical education, technical skills, crafts, that kind of thing, which have gone by the wayside in this country. Um, uh, the value of a college education versus a MOOC, and how do we make sure that people are continuing to upskill? So let's talk about that when we get back from our great break. Talking to Gary Beach, really insightful guru in the area of technology. Stay with us. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, and I'm excited to uh, have uh, my all of you listeners listening in on a, a really important topic now and for the future, talking to Gary Beach, who is clearly a guru and has been influential over the last 30 years of how to leverage and drive technology in a way that helps us all personally uh, professionally and in, 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 uh, the communities. So Gary, we were talking about, uh, you know, the whole aspect of education and, you know, the role of teachers, et cetera. But here's the bigger question, you know, not everybody's going to get a college degree. I mean, apparently only 30% of Americans have bachelor's degrees. I didn't know that. I thought it was higher. Actually, I thought I had seen a higher number, but, um, you know, we've done away with, and in, in today's society as we're looking at what jobs are going to go forward, you know, people's houses are, are, are wired for technology. The, the, the technical skills, and I don't mean, you know, digital technology, I mean having an, a, an electrician, having a great plumber, having, you know, trades uh, are very important. And we've kind of done away with that kind of learning experience in the workplace. We've done away with public private partnerships, beginning to get back into apprenticeships that we used to have. And then we've got all these MOOCs out there. So how do people leverage all of this? What needs to be done so that we have a full complexion of learning opportunities for people to move forward in viable careers that are, 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 are going to be there in, in, in the future uh, that we don't even know about today. So give me your take on all of that. Okay. Um, uh, the Wired for the Future, uh, the homes, uh, a little vignette a while back, I was at a conference that Randall Stevenson, who's the CEO of AT&T, was speaking at. And he had just come from the shores of the Outer Banks on family vacation and he was telling the audience of CIOs uh, a story where when his two-year-old grandson arrived at the house that uh, Randall was renting, he was upstairs in the, in the kitchen and there was a black glass um, oven and the, the grandchild was moving 
his finger from left to right on the glass. Uh, <laughs> he looked up at Grandpa and said, Grandpa, no work. It doesn't work. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, uh, that's kind of just kind of says it all for me, uh, but but uh, yes, the thirty percent number you reference is 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 uh, is accurate. In fact, it's it's an all time high um, uh, in terms of um, men and women in the country who have a bachelor's degree. One of the things uh, you're mentioning the uh, apprenticeships. Uh, our country back in one of a slide I have in a deck that I often use shows a picture of a stamp that the U.S. Postal Service released in 1937 that commemorated uh, the five-year anniversary of the National Apprenticeship Program. <laughs> and yeah. and we, we, I guess a country that gets uh, credit for doing apprenticeships well would be Germany, but we've, we've had, a, had a history of, of uh, you know, at least embracing this you know, way back when. Uh, and and maybe less so less so now, uh, you know MOOCs. That that that's an interesting uh, area. Uh, if I may, uh, there's a, uh, a technology and engineering employment firm that's owned by Adeco. Uh, its name is Modis M O D I S, and they just about six weeks ago came out with a report on on staffing in in the United States. And one of the questions they asked. Uh, these C-level execs is what's your opinion on 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 the kind of degree that a prospective job candidate uh, might bring to the table? And here's here's without sounding like a stat wonk, I'll just read the the answers and the percentages. Twenty six percent said it depends on the quality, not in terms of the the kind of program, whether it's online or bricks and mortar. It depends on the quality. Of, of, of the program, so that's good. Twenty-four uh, percent would 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 say say that what you can do with what you know is most important, i.e., work experience. So now that's fifty percent are saying it depends on the quality or or, or your work experience. Twenty-two uh, percent say they prefer, regardless of the quality, uh, they prefer a brick and mortar degree, and and nineteen percent uh, say. Uh, they they would they opt for online. Now, you know, one of one of the, one of the uh, you mentioned the word the words MOOC massive open online courses, and one of the 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 things I like about MOOCs uh, as an example, an A in Duke might be different than an A at University of North Carolina, right? And the the democratization of performance in a MOOC is, is, um, appeals to me that from what I understand anyway, from listening to some of the folks up here in Boston area, edX who do the edX, um, MOOCs that there's, there's uh, quintiles or quartiles or whatever. And when you get, when you get your certificate, it also mentions where you, ranked in the distribution curve of, of, of the 8,000 students or people, let's say, that, that took that class. So if, if I'm coming in to uh, get a job w at, with you at Duke, uh, I could say, Linda, I took this course in, in, in artificial intelligence, and uh, I came in the 99th percentile. And you go, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. So uh, I, 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 I do like, like MOOCs. Uh, for that reason, uh, we could have a whole 
program on whether or not the quality of teaching and all the other things is 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 equal there. But um, I think I think it's another way of of, of educating, and I think we yeah, need to. I'm sorry, I lost you there, Gary. Okay, um, I how far back? It's it's partly. I have to say, one of the things you know, depending on the country and where you are. Technology works, and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm 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 fearful that it's not working as well as I would like down here in Bar- Barbados. But uh, it is what it is. We'll make do. Uh, I was basically saying I like MOOCs. Their distribution. Uh, so curve. so tell me, Gary, mm-hmm. what what uh, what from your perspective um, specifically has to be done to lessen the impact of these skill gaps. I mean, that's, that's what your book is all about. And I, I would advise people to get a copy of it, actually. I think no, it's a great you. book. Um, so give us some thoughts. I'm an employer. Well, what do I do? I'm yeah, a, I mean, I'm a kid. There's, there's, <laughs> figure out how do I lessen the gap and how do I make sure I'm employable? Well, you mentioned digital uh you know, the uh, embracing digital and, and, and to some extent in, in, in uh, that, that is, is, is step one. I often, when I'm speaking with uh, chief information officers, I'll ask, I'll start my comments by asking them, uh, please raise your hand if your company has a business strategy. And I look dead serious, right? And they're looking at me like I have two heads on, you know, of course we have, they raise their hands. And I then say, all right, keep your hands up. Question two, how many of you have a technology strategy at your company that yeah. is aligned with your business strategy? And most right. of the hands stay up. Yeah. Then I, then I ask, how many of you have a talent strategy that is mapped to your technology and business strategy? Almost yeah. all the time, all the hands you know, come down. Really? And Huh. You know, yeah, it's 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 remarkable. I suggest you try it sometime. But there's there's a debate, a continuing debate that's going on, not only in our country but around the world, on whether or not a skills gap exists. Uh, and I just saw this number in a in a survey from Adeco that came out of out of, of Davos this week. When mm-hmm. I first looked at it, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, they did a sea level survey, and they said uh, the results uh, that fifty six percent of of um, the respondents said the skills gap is real. Yeah. Oh, I, I still question skills gap is is yeah, real. But, but last year, Linda, when they did the same survey, yeah, eighty percent said it was real. So something has happened in terms I see, of I, see. I didn't have the. Yeah. You know, the, as we all know, when you look at research, uh, you're right. in academia, you know, how it was done, who was done across, what were the questions asked? I don't right. know any of that. But right. the drop from 80% to, to 55% or 56% is, 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 it is. I mean, it, 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 it just cuts against that uncertainty. So what, 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 and the skills situation in, in corporations anywhere around the world are you and I were talking here today about about you know leading edge new technology, but you know ninety five percent of the world's financial transactions run on COBOL, which was which was yeah. built in the fifties. So companies have to have talent to maintain legacy infrastructure, and right. they have to recruit talent uh, to to uh, implement 
new technologies that's coming okay. at us all like a fire hose. Like a, like a, like a, like a tsunami. And you know, that is true. So that, that, that is what is, I mean, it is the legacy systems and the transfer over and the cost that's connected with that. And, you know, people's resistance to move on to different kinds of systems that they're used to and that they like, that's, that's a huge challenge. Go ahead. I was just going to say, add it. I'm sorry for interrupting, but, uh, yeah. You cannot believe how many times I've had conversations with chief information officers about uh, career technical education, which I prefer to call it. And they say to me, why should I train a worker? Because in this age of the gig economy and this age of you know, millennials and Gen Z are by far the biggest uh, composition of the workforce cohort now, and they're notorious right. job hoppers. Why should I train a worker? Because I know they're going to leave. Yeah, that's and a, that's a so they're in this, you know, you know, negative, you know, uh, tsunami. Using that word right. again, uh, and no, nothing's moving forward. So they're what they're doing is they're going to a zero sum poaching game, right. where it's, I'm going to steal somebody from you, and you're going to steal somebody from me, right. and it's 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 um, there. There's just not a national recognition that 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 I I believe anyway that we actually do have 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 a skills gap. I had a conversation with the teacher about this a couple of weeks ago over over the holidays, and and you know he was saying no, it's just you know it's you know America's much more diverse country than other countries, and you know that's why our scores are lower. But uh, I don't think that's true, Gary. We have about uh, two minutes left in the show. And I could talk, we could talk forever <laughs> on this topic because, you know, I, I think you've hit on so many things that I wanted to explore more, but we just don't have the time. But tell me, what two things do you want people to take away from this? And we have two minutes, less than that, actually. And how do people get a hold of you to, you know, learn more and talk more and bring this whole notion of technology, which, by the way, the world and everything you do is going to run on technology some form or fashion from now on. So a couple of key, key points okay. you want to leave with and how do they get a hold of you? Every, everything is local. Everything is local. And anybody listening to this program who gets excited about this topic, uh, I would encourage them you know, to get involved uh, with their local local schools um, and, 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 and be a contributing uh, voice there. Uh, secondly, I think we have to move to a, a regional uh, education system that maps uh, to 12 regions across the country and the economic activity that's in that and the curriculum then would support that. Uh, I think that that would be that would be um, that would be beneficial. But by far, uh, what I think is 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 two things that this is a structural long-term problem that's going to take a generation to fix. Wow. And secondly, we need to hire the best to teach. Lee Iacocca you know, once said, uh, in a truly rational society, the best of us would teach and the rest of us would figure out something else to do. So uh, <laughs> recruit the best teachers. And you can, you can reach me at Gary Beach. <laughs> CIO at gmail.com or uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm a fairly active Twitter user. It's just uh, at G Beach CIO. Uh, we're on that site. I um, exclusively tweet to a thing I call the Skills Gap Almanac. I'll be coming up on three years of doing that. 
Wow, that's great. Gary, thank you so much. I have to tell you, it was such a pleasure meeting you in New York. Uh, this is a very important topic. And, you know, we say in our book, uh, technology is here to stay and resistance is futile. And it's always been, think about the change of the, of the 20th century, the major light bulbs, telephone, uh, cars. We are at that kind of significant level where the, the world is really going to be immensely different from the way it ever was before in ways that we can't even think about today. So embracing technology, and I mean digital technology, is is key. So thank you so much, Gary, for being on. And uh, thank you to all our listeners for staying with us. We're going to have a great show on this uh, similar topic with uh, uh, next week. So talk to you soon. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.